Welcome to Wealth Well Done. Together, we'll cover a wide range of important topics surrounding money and the impact it has on our lives. From the sophisticated and highly valuable planning techniques of the ultra-wealthy to the commonly underutilized biblical teachings. Together, we'll work to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well. Here's your host, Eric Scoville. Welcome to the 19th episode of the Wealth Well Done podcast, where we go after the tactical, practical, and spiritual ways to help you do your wealth well done. Uh, this week, I am very excited to have on Jay Link. Um, Jay, I am, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time here as, well, once I first got a hold of your content. So um, last week, we, we had on <clears throat> Chuck Days. We did a deep dive into, into the International Justice Mission and going after the ways that they are combating slavery around the world. Um, but today, Jay is here to, uh, we're going to first get into the topic of God versus mammon. And so uh, this, this will be a fun one here. So Jay, Jay, thank you for being on with us. You're welcome, Barry. It's really good to be here. Thank <laughs> you for inviting me. Yeah. Um, so as always, the disclaimer is that, that this information here is meant to be generic in form. And so please, uh, you know, pray into this consult your financial team, decide how this may or may not fit into your situation, but don't take this as financial advice directed towards you. Um, background on Jay. Uh, it's kind of the same. Like, so normally, we, our producers have asked us not to, or suggest that we don't spend much time talking about someone's background. The last couple of guests I've had on have had uh, immense backgrounds, and Jay, you are right there as well. So you've been, you have been in the stewardship um, training I guess kind of that whole type of the industry for we're going over 44 years now. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, but stewardship ministries, stewards way, um, been the director of stewardship planning at Taylor university. Now we've got the steward stewardship research resource group. Um, Jay has a, a website that's got incredible information on that. Um, that when I first found Jay, I was, I was, um, just, reading scripture myself and i came across two scriptures that seemingly conflicted uh just a couple of verses apart from each other and i just decided to research that came across a, an article that jay had um, posted and and since then started really diving deep into your work and fell in love with it so thank you for all the work that you've done all the lives that you've touched thank you may god be may god be honored by it all right Right. And just, just even before we get, we'll, we'll talk about this more, but what is your website? Where can people go to find all the, the resources that you've created? Yeah, it's stewardshiplibrary.com. Okay. And uh, that's got uh, hundreds of articles. It's got uh, all kinds of video training videos, stewardship minutes, uh, small group uh, stewardship curriculum, uh, giving curriculum, uh, tools for financial advisors and professional advisors on how to, to think through these issues and do proper planning. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a pretty robust uh, website and it's all free. We're not selling anything. So yeah. feel free to, to go look around and download whatever you want. And, uh, and, and, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing it. It's already been a, a blessing to, to me and, and even to some of my clients already. So <laughs> it is a phenomenal resource. I will, I will back you up on that. Okay, will you will you start with a little bit of your background background to the work in stewardship for you? Right. Well, I I grew up a Christian, and uh, when I became a teenager, I decided that I wanted to serve the Lord full time with my life, and I uh, went off to Bible college, 
uh, graduated from Bible college and was ready to go out and change the world. Uh, the only thing the school didn't tell me is the kind of churches that are looking for a 22 year old kid fresh out of Bible college with no experience aren't looking to change anything. No. <laughs> uh, and, and he sends me to central Kentucky, if you can imagine. Uh, and uh, after about five years of preaching, I said, you know, there's got to be a better way because I want to change the world. And these people just want me to preach my sermon, print the bulletins, visit the people that are sick, lock the building up on Sundays when we're done, and we'll see you next week. Uh, and so I, I left that. I went. I did go back to seminary and got my Master of Divinity in Biblical Theology, which was a, a, a really a blessing uh, in so many ways. Still use it every day to this day. Uh, and went into the financial services industry and was very, very successful at that. But I, and I went to a convention and I heard a guy speak on charitable estate planning. And it was like, Eric, it was like all the lights of heaven came on for me. And I said, that is exactly what I want to do. Little did I know that it would grab a hold of me and, and has never let go of me in, in almost 45 years now. Uh, and uh, so I have started off with a, a, the novel idea, uh, began to think about stewardship and we'll probably unpack this some more. And it, uh, stewardship is like peeling an onion. You just got one layer after another, after another, after another. And when you finally think you got it, all of a sudden you realize, oh, there's another whole level, another whole level. <laughs> right. uh, and, you know, some people think, you know, they, they say, well, you're just, you're just so smart. And I said, I'm, I'm not smart. You stay with anything for 40 years and you're going to get good. You're going to be good at it. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's, you, you can be impressed with my endurance, but not necessarily my brilliance. <laughs> uh, I just read and try to try to apply that. And so uh, I sold my, I, I went into personal practice and was there and doing that for about 35 years, working with very wealthy Christian families, uh, helping them to, uh, really answer three key and strategic questions. One is how much enough for us, how much enough for our heirs, and what are we going to do with what's left over? Uh, and those three questions are absolutely essential if you're going to if you're going to try to optimize your kingdom impact with the resources that God has entrusted to you to manage uh, uh, for Him. And back in 2014, I sold my practice. Uh, and, uh, cause oh, my, my four daughters are sudden started popping out all these little people. And, uh, in a matter of eight, in a matter of eight years, I had 11 grandkids and I thought, I don't want to miss out on this because my practice was really national, Eric. So I was traveling all over the country, uh, coast to coast, North, South. Uh, and I just didn't want to miss out on all of that. So I sold my practice to one of my, uh, one of the gentlemen that I had trained, uh, and he took over my practice and I s sort of retired, but you have to understand what my term, my meaning of retirement is retire is, uh, is where you take off old tires, you put on new tires and you keep right on rolling. Absolutely. Uh, and so that's what I did. I sold my practice. And next thing I know, uh, Taylor university had contacted me and asked me if I would come and build a stewardship planning ministry at, at the university for them and their constituency. And for five years, I did that. And we, uh, we just, it was very, very successful. Uh, I wrapped things up there in December of last year, still thinking, uh, it's time to put on new tires and keep on rolling. And that's when I launched the Stewardship Resource Group, which really focuses on working with Christian ministries, Christian universities, and churches to help them understand the biblical concept and the biblical principles of fundraising and stewardship. Uh, and then to then likewise, then be able to help their families 
to be good to be good stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to them. And so that we've just launched that uh, in January of this year. And I will tell you that we're building a plane while we're flying it, which can be a little scary sure. uh, sometimes. But that's uh, that's what we're doing. We, we're just the, the response has been just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and our team is continuing to grow as God just keeps bringing more and more uh, uh, people that want to be part of what we're doing. Uh, so that's what I'm busy doing uh, right now okay. while, while being a grandpa and, and all the other stuff that goes with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Thank you. All right. Um, let's get into it then. So mm-hmm. I, I've got I've got some questions here that may be a little bit of bouncing around, but just digging mm-hmm. in money and faith. Mm-hmm. Why does money have such an instrumental role in our faith? Well, I, I'm not sure. It, it, I would. I'm not sure. I would say it's an instrumental role in our faith. I think okay. it's, it plays an instrumental role against our faith. Ooh, all right. Uh, it's 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 faith or money, and and to give you just probably the best biblical example I can. You remember when Jesus is saying, "No man can serve two masters," right? And of all the masters that could be competing with him for the throne, he chooses money. Yeah. You can, riches. You you can't serve God and Mammon. You can't you can't do that. So so riches in in, in my observation is riches will generally work against your faith, uh, and and you know because you're gonna you're gonna the more you accumulate the more faith you're gonna put in your provisions instead of putting your faith in the provider, uh, and that creates all kinds of problems because now. If the stock market goes up, you're feeling more secure. If the stock market's going down, you feel less secure, and you find that your security has somehow transitioned from God the provider to mammon the provisions, and you you you're, you can't make good spiritual decisions if you're if you're uh, if fear is is overtaking and and, and uh, overpowering your faith. And so I, I really see them working in conflict with one another uh, until, of course, your finances and your riches and not just your, your material possessions, but all of your stewardship, your, 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 your body, your mind, your, your talents, your resources, your business, your family, your relationships, the earth, all of that stuff. All of that, once that comes under the lordship of Jesus, uh, then it becomes a tool to be used to advance uh, to advance the kingdom, as opposed to something that is in opposition to what it is that God wants to do with the resources that He's entrusted to you, is that is that helpful? Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, before we go on to the other questions, let's just let's park here for a minute. Okay, uh, you're probably one of the better qualified people to give in a, a definition of stewardship, and not just the the one or two cents definition, but a, a kind of a broader sense of applied what. What is stewardship? What are we called to do with it? Well, if if you ask a hundred people uh, in, in in a church service, I'm saying, what what do you think is the meaning of the word stewardship? Ninety of them or more are going to say, well, it has something to do with giving and uh, and money. I mean, that's that's ten percent. Yeah, that's the prevail. That's the yeah. prevailing attitude, and that's the the overwhelming prevailing way in which the church uses stewardship. You know, if we're going to have a stewardship campaign, no, you're not. You're going to have a fun. You're going to have a capital campaign. You just want to make it sound more spiritual, so you'll call it a stewardship campaign. It's a fundraiser. You're yeah. right, you're trying to raise money, uh, and everybody knows that and sees through it. And they go, well, we'll just we'll sound we'll we'll try to sound more spiritual. But the the meaning of the word steward, uh, the, the definition of the meaning of the word steward or stewardship, is the act of managing someone else's property, a caretaker, a manager. 
Uh, and one of the most profound, you know, if, if again, if I asked that same congregation, how many of you believe that God owns everything? I would venture to say everybody in the room would raise their hand and say, oh yeah, I believe God owns everything. That's not the problem. The problem is not the intellectual understanding and agreement that God owns everything. Where the problem is, is it's never been translated into how we live. In other words, yeah, I believe God owns everything, but it's my house, my car, my job, my investments, uh, my family, my future, my time, my money. Uh, and, and, and we, and we just do whatever we want with our stuff. Uh, even though giving some, you know, peripheral intellectual, uh, acknowledgement that God owns everything. But once you finally understand and believe and embrace that God is the owner, of all of the resources that in the entire universe, not just all of your resources, right. all the resources, you know, the Psalm 24, one, the earth is mine uh, and everything in it, the world and all those who dwell in it, that kind of covers everything we're going to get our hands on in this lifetime. I think yep. God says, it's not yours. It's, it's mine. And I'm entrusting you to use it for my purposes and my kingdom and for my glory. And so immediately when you ask somebody, could you get, could you show me your balance sheet? What they should do is they should show you they should show you a blank piece of paper yeah. because your your net worth is zero, and so you are not some you're not you're not playing some little god of some tiny little financial empire that you created of your own brilliance and your own genius. What you are is you've been promoted from that to being a steward of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Master of the Universe, and entrusted with a very small but strategic portion of His resources to be used as He directs you to use for His purpose and His glory and for His kingdom. That changes everything. And, and in fact, Eric, I would say outside of the gospel itself, I have never seen a more immediate and radical transformation of Christians than when they finally put on the, the, the stewardship lenses and start looking at the world as a steward instead of an owner. It is just it's just immediate and it is radical, the change that take the change that takes place. So the only question that I think we have a legitimate right to ask, and this is going to be a little bit uh, mind-boggling, is, Lord, what do you want me to do with what you've entrusted to me? Yeah. What do you want me to do with what you've entrusted to me? It, it, here, here's the, here's the mind-blowing part. What you want to do with what you've got is totally irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. It's totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And, and, and the only way your will or your wishes matter is if your will aligns with his will. And then it's still his will. You've just adopted his will. So if you, if you're on the same page with God, well, then you're going to get to do what you want, but that's not our problem. Generally, our problem is, right. no, you know, uh, isn't there another way we can go about doing this? Can I, can I be at least in charge? Uh, and I will tell you that the thing that has been most fascinating with me, especially with our high, highest net worth families is the, uh, what they say is the freedom, the freedom that they feel when they finally accept and acknowledge that this is all God's stuff and I'm taking care of it and it's not my stuff that I need to be responsible for and make all the decisions on. It, it really is a radical, life-changing uh, reality. And that's true whether you've got, whether, whether you're, you know, a, a, a janitor in a, uh, in a school building somewhere or whether you own a, a, a billion-dollar company, the re that reality applies across the boards to everyone. Now, yeah. the stewardship responsibilities and challenges of high net worth folks is totally different than the stewardship challenges and responsibilities of the more everyday common 
uh, you know, kind of the, the, those of us that aren't in the stratosphere living down here. The, but the responsibility is still absolutely the, cha- uh, the same. Right. And, yeah, and, and I'll just say one more thing and then no, no, I'll keep going. But, you, but, you're but, answering like the next three questions I had. OK, good. OK, good. And, 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 you know, when I ask I ask people, Eric, I say, well, who is our role model for who we want to pattern our life after? That's not a trick question, okay? Who, who, who is it? This is not a trick question. It's Jesus, Jesus okay? Right. Yeah. What, what did Jesus say about himself and his will in the, in the New Testament? Not my will. I don't, I, don't, I don't speak anything except what's told to me. I don't do anything except what I'm told to do. Your, not your, my will, but your will be done. I, you know, that is what I live for is to carry out your wishes and your will. Hello, <laughs> what part of what part of following Jesus don't you understand? People say, "Well, you know, that's really high level. That's that's graduate level Christianity." No, it's not. That's Christianity one hundred and one. Yeah. That's where it begins. Not what you want to aspire to someday. That's that's where it starts. That's why I said you got to give. You know, the, one of the you want to talk about hard sayings of Jesus. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to give up all your own possessions. I had, I had one gentleman ask me, he said, well, what if God were to actually, add, you know, tell me he wanted me to give, he was very wealthy, he wanted me to give up all, give up everything, give it all away, like he did the rich young ruler. And I said, Tom, if you were really sure that that's what God wanted you to do, and you did it, you'd be the happiest man on the planet. Yes. Because God blesses obedience. And that's what we really want to be after is, is obedience. And so, uh, and does God intend to pay you for being a, a steward and a manager? of his resources? Well, of course, you're, the question's not, do, is he planning on taking care of you while you take care of his resources? The question is, how much of what his resources are you planning on consuming on yourself and how much of it are you planning on making available to advance the kingdom? Right. That That's the hard question. Not, you know, and I think that's where many people really, really wrestle. Not, none of us, um, I'm guessing, I'm guessing very few, uh, and when I say us, I kind of mean just People who are, who are even on that, that, that whatever level this of the onion is that, you know, mm-hmm. I want to be a steward. I consider myself, I believe that these resources belong to God. I'm wondering how many of us it would consider ourselves to be the, uh, the unjust steward. Like what, what did the unjust steward do? <laughs> well, he, yeah, he, he was, uh, he was clever. Yeah. You know, he, he figured he figured out a way to beat the system. And 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 the thing that's most su- surprising about that particular story, Eric, is when Jesus is assessing it and it says that the, the owner praised the unrighteous steward for he was acting more shrewdly than the people of light. Well, now that doesn't strike me as a compliment to Christians. He's saying you Christians need to start being as creative in what you do as the world is in what they do. But you need to be, you know, uh, innocent as doves uh, and creative as, as serpents. So yeah. you got to be, you got to be creative and honest. Uh, but the whole idea is, you know, and so many Christians, well, we just, we don't want to take those kind of chances. We don't want to, you know, we, we, we need to be conservative with God's money. Well, I don't know. Uh, if God tells you to be conservative with his money, I guess that would be a good thing to do. But I'm not sure that the story of the parable of the talents particularly gives us any kind of a model that says, okay, just put your money in a tin can, bury it in the backyard. And when Jesus comes back for it, you give it to him and just see how that goes for you. Right. You know, as opposed to the ones that went, and the thing, the interesting thing about that parable, Eric, is that wouldn't it have been nice to have known how long the master was gone? Mm. Yeah. 
So we could actually calculate what the return on the investment was. I think that's probably why he didn't tell us. So, oh, that was an 84% return on investment, 62%. You know, we, we, and then we get locked into the, new, that new number. Lines, right. So whatever it was, I mean, it was, even if it was years, the return doubling your money in five years is still, that's a still a pretty, a pretty good, uh, yep. a pretty good return on investment. And it says that the, it says that the master praised them. He praised them for what they did. God, God's not opposed to making money. He is opposed to lying, cheating, stealing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But he's not opposed to, to making money. If the kingdom needs anything, it's more, it's more, uh, gospel patrons. It's more people that have got financial resources that they can underwrite the vision that God's giving to his people to advance the kingdom and wrap things up so he can come back. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. One of the things when, when I when I first emailed you and, and said you know what I'm hoping to to accomplish with this podcast is I was hoping that that we could unpack some some hard uncomfortable truths that a listener may may hear whether this is God confirming it <coughs> excuse me the Holy Spirit confirming it to them or um, you know from something else that they've already been discussed or if it's something that that is just brand new to them. I want to help people not be surprised when their judgment day comes and they find out truth. Like you didn't do this. Like th- those are my resources. Why didn't you use them well? And, and and whatever those are. So I want to challenge people a little bit here. I feel like the majority of even well-meaning Christians um, don't have a good. They don't. They don't have a good um, blueprint for for how they're going to steward God's money. And mm-hmm. a lot of it gets spent on personal consumption. Um, and there's a lot of, obviously, there's, there's a lot of kind of bad teaching out there, some intentionally bad mm-hmm. and plenty of it that was unintentional. Right. Where are you seeing the kind of the, the biggest misconception around stewardship for, um, for Christians today? Well, in, in regards to giving, Eric, I think the biggest misconception is this idea that we owe, we owe God 10%. I think that, you know, n- number one, that is just simply an Old Testament law that was required of the Jews to bring the tithe into the storehouse so that the priests and the Levites would have food to eat. And that was how the government was set up. It was a theocracy. Uh, and it, you know, actually there were three tithes. Most people don't know that. So if you want to get, if you want to be a, a, a good legalist, the annual amount is 23 and a third percent. There were two annual tithes and one triannual tithe, but but I I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well I'm give, I'm paying I'm paying God his tithe, you know he, this is what he said, you know that the church tells me that he wants me to give. Well, you know for the the widow that's making six thousand dollars a year, ten percent might be more than she could afford to part with and still be able to stay alive. And for the guy making a million dollars a year, giving a hundred thousand dollars a year, he ought to be ashamed of himself. Right. You see, so it's uh, and and this and I and I, I I created a whole study called the Better Way Giving series, which is on that website. So it's designed to be a small group study, six weeks. And and what that what how that came about is that uh, as I uh, persuaded pastors to stop telling people to give ten percent, and and again I got some great articles on why that's just bad. Not only bad theology, it's bad practically. Well, yeah, and we're, uh, we're going to cover that more yeah. next in the in this. Second yeah. episode here. So, so we'll 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 get to that uh, some more. But the the whole idea, what I did was I said, well, if if tithing isn't the basis upon which Christians are to calculate how much to giving to do, uh, I I said I, I need to 
I, I need to study the scriptures. I spent several months studying through the entire New Testament and finding everything that the, the New Testament said about giving. And I put all of that together in a six-week Bible study called the, uh, the Better Way Giving Series, which kind of comes out of the theme of the book of Hebrews. It says there's a better way, there's a better message, there's a better Savior, there's a better law, there's a better this. Uh, well, there's a better way to do giving. Yeah. And if, if understanding what those options are uh, and how to think about that from a New Testament Christian standpoint, uh, you might find that study uh, to, be, uh, to be particularly helpful. Uh, Helpful, but that I think for high end folks, you know, uh, you're making you're making six, four, five, six digits of annual income, and you're giving ten percent. Well, the number, the raw number, is a big number, uh, and all the ministries that you're going to support are going to be thinking, "Man, he's a big giver." When in reality, ten percent of five million dollars, even though it's you know five hundred thousand dollars relative to what he's not, what he's spending on himself, is still pretty uh pretty puny yeah. uh in my judgment I, and you're, you're in financial services so I'll, I'll share with you kind of the way i i encourage people to think about it. i said if you were to walk into a financial advisor and said i'm gonna i want to turn my money over to you and have you manage it and he says that would be fine we we're very good at that uh and the fee that we charge is 97 percent of all the profits that you make we take as payment for our services rendered and three percent You'll get to keep, and we'll grow that in the portfolio. You can take that out. Would you hire that guy? <laughs> the answer not. is not. Not in a million years. And yet, God, you know what the national average is for uh, Christians giving? It's right around three percent. Right. Well, in other words, the the money managers of God's resources are saying, "God, I'll manage your money, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to spend ninety seven cents of every dollar on myself." And I'm going to use 3% of that for you to advance your kingdom. I, I don't know why God just doesn't laugh and say, you can't be serious. <laughs> well, and obviously many people assume that their ability to earn income and the time that they put into that and everything else belongs to them. And so they earn that and they're just choosing to yep. give some to God. And if you see yourself as a steward, knowing that God is God owns every bit of this, when you're just giving back to God, it's a different story. Well, I, I would even go so far as to say that I, I don't actually even like the word giving. Uh, because giving carries with it the connotation that I've got something to give. Mm, okay. Now let me ask. Now let me ask you a question. If I were to start giving out thousand dollar checks to organizations or Christians that I, you know, that I wanted to support, uh, and I was doing a lot of it. I mean, I was doing a lot of it. Uh, but what you didn't know is I was making those gifts out of your account, not mine. Would you call me a generous giver? No, no. no, you might have a few names for me, but generous <laughs> giver probably wouldn't be one of them. You right. see, that's what I'm trying to say is it's not ours to give. And that's why I prefer to use the word deploy. We're just yeah. simply deploying our resources because the, 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 the king owns it. And all we're doing has been given instructions on how to deploy that. Uh, back when I was a kid, there was a TV show called The Millionaire. Uh, I don't know why I remember it so much. It was back in the 50s and I was, I was really pretty young, but it's this uh, billionaire named James Beresford Tipton. You can actually see some of these episodes on YouTube if you ever want to watch them. Uh, and every episode, he would give a million dollars tax-free to just some stranger. Uh, and the whole story, the follow it story was what happened to them when they got this million. And of course, this is back in the fifties. So it might, more, might be more like 10 million now. Sure. Uh, and he, his executive secretary's name was Michael Anthony. And he would give him the check. You never did see who this fellow was. He'd give him the check and then he would go deliver the check to this family and say, now the only, uh, only caveat is that you can't do anything to try to find out where this check came from. So, you know, cashier's check, just cash it. Uh, and you've got the million dollars. Now, 
would you think of Michael Anthony as being particularly generous? No. 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 Well, it's a good employee. But, but, but didn't he give the person a check for a million dollars? Yeah. But the gift didn't come from him. It just came through him. Right. You see, it'd be like the, if you had a rich uncle, Eric, and, and he calls you and says, you know, you're my favorite, you're my favorite nephew. And I'm going to, I'm going to be sending you a check for a million dollars. And it'll be, it'll be coming registered mail tomorrow. So be looking for it. So, uh, you know, the mail, the doorbell rings, the mailman's there. You get the, you open the door and he says, I've got this envelope for you, but you have to sign here and you sign here and you open it up. And there's the check for a million dollars. And you jump all over the, uh, the mailman telling him, thank you so much. You're so kind. I can't believe that you've given me this check for a million dollars. You're so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's silly, isn't it? Yeah. What you're going to do is you're going to get on the phone and you're going to thank the one who made the gift, not the one who delivered it. Well, think about it. Why should anybody ever get a name put on a building for delivering somebody else's gift? Oh, man. I love you it. see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. no, I, absolutely. That's, and, and, and I know you're going to talk about the paradox. At some point, you're going to ask me about the paradox in, uh, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Right. So we can, we can wait for that. But, but the whole point of this is that, you know, and that's what James says, all good gifts come from the Father of lights. Yeah. All good gifts so all we're doing is if you if you and you read the the story about the uh, the the uh, the workers where they were out in the field working and they come in and and, and Jesus tell them the, the parable he says now the owner doesn't say now go feed yourself and uh, and he says no you go get yourself all cleaned up and then you feed me and take care of me and then you can eat and 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 when you you know the the workers their response is we've only done what we should have done we've only done what we should have done that should be our response in our giving, when people want to make a big deal about it, they say, uh, "Don't thank me. Right. Don't thank me. It's not about me." And we'll, we can unpack that some more uh, when we get into uh, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. But that's that. I think that kind of radical way of thinking really, really changes everything because you're now looking at it as the steward of a small portion of an infinite res- uh, base of resources. And God, what, how do you want me to manage these resources to do the most good for the most people and to give you the most glory and advance your kingdom to the greatest extent we possibly can? And, okay. and can you imagine what the kingdom would look like if everybody who was a professing believer thought and acted like that? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm firmly convinced, Eric, all the money that is needed to, to accomplish every ministry and every work that God has ever laid on anybody's heart to do is already in the hands of Christians. The only problem is, is they don't know how to deploy it or they haven't been convinced to deploy it. And so the logjam is in the heads of these folks because they've got the wrong perception of whose stuff it is in the first place. All right. So let's, <clears throat> let's sit down. What, what's different about money's grip on on Christians today compared to in Jesus' day? Is, is there any difference? Well, having not lived in the time of Jesus, even though I've been around for a long time, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> I'm say not for implying sure. that. Yeah, but, uh, but from what Jesus says about it, there's no difference at all. People would lie and steal and cheat and kill for it. Uh, they would accumulate it. Uh, they'd be obsessed with it. Uh, they, it, would, it would free them up to commit all kinds of immoral acts. Uh, and we got a few good examples of rich people. Abraham was incredibly wealthy. Yep. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea was incredibly was wealthy. About, yep. I mean, we, we've got some good examples of, of and, and God doesn't judge them. He God, Jesus doesn't condemn or judge, nor does God, anyone with wealth because they have wealth. 
Okay. It, wealth, wealth is just a means to an end. As, as I, I read one time years ago, wealth doesn't build character or create character. It only reveals it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So, so it's, the question is not how much do you have? The question is, what are you doing with what you, what you have? And I think that's, uh, that's a whole lot more challenging question, I think, for us to answer. Okay. If, if we look at, <clears throat> so every, every, every person listening to this podcast is going to be um, on, a, on a global scale uh, would be considered rich. So, you know, what, what it takes to, to be in the top 5%, the top 1% globally is, is, is not, not what yeah. you know, in America we would consider ultra, ultra wealthy. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with, with the way the media portrays portrays wealth. And when you see someone who's got a twenty four thousand square foot home in Malibu and another one on a private island and all those other places, you think when the Bible when when you read the rich person in the Bible, you assume them. Mm-hmm. No one hard. No one really says, "Oh yeah, they're talking about me." The you know, Bible's talking about me right there. When it comes to the rich, the rich young ruler or the rich fool, why is it that we don't see ourselves as rich and we and we ignore those warnings? Well, I, I, I would describe it, I think, Eric, this way. Uh, if you have leprosy and you're living in a leper colony, your awareness and consciousness of the fact that you have leprosy is uh, diminished by the fact that that's what everybody, everybody has the same disease. So the disease is not exceptional. It's, it's, it's common. And for those of us that live in America, Every single one of us have attracted, to, uh, 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 contracted to some extent the disease of affluenza. Mm. Uh, and so as a result, we're all sick and we don't even recognize we're sick because everybody around us is sick with the same thing. Right. So point. sick sick seems normal. You know, all you have to do is just get an airplane and fly to any third world country you want. Take your pick and go spend a week there and you come back and you will have a reverse culture shock because you're going to see people that are living on $2.50 a week and they're still, and they're living on it. And you come back and you look at, you know, and that's why these mission trips for young people and stuff is so profoundly uh, important is because they come back and they're just disgusted with the excess that we just take for granted. Uh, my, my oldest daughter was a missionary of an Africa in the, in the bush for several years. And she, when she came back, she told, she shared with me, she was filling up our bathtub to take a bath. And in the middle of it, it hit her. In the whole time she was over in Africa, she'd never seen anyone do what she was just doing right now, filling up a tub with water and taking a hot bath. And she broke down crying. She felt so ashamed that that they that those folks had so little. And here she was just taking for granted, filling up a tub so she could go so, soak in it. I mean, it's it's radically different. So until you recognize your own disease, I mean, you, you remember in, in Revelation where uh, the people are saying, well, you know, we 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 really got it together. God said, no, nah, I don't think you do. You know, you're wretched, you're blind, you're naked, you're pathetic, you know, and they're, and these are the people that were rich. They said, look, we got it all. We got it all put together. Right. And I go, you, you have no idea. You are an absolute mess. And all I can say is that's, you know, it, it, it's welcome to the club. I mean, this is not, you know, that I'm looking down at anybody. I'm, uh, you know, I've been wrestling. I have to wrestle with the same affluenza that everybody else does. So, so how should we, how should we take in the, I mean, is it, is it, do you stop taking baths or is it, or, or do you like, at what point, how do how do we say, so I want to, I want to leave someone with instruction on this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they have that experience. Whether they have that experience, they heard about it, someone, you know, they heard about the from mm-hmm. the mission team at church or whatever, and they just recognize I live in so much excess. Right now, mm-hmm. for me, I am getting ready to leave to go on vacation as soon as we're done recording this, and I am trying to eat up all of the leftovers we had from the weekend. <laughs> so I am trying to work to make sure I get all the food eaten so I don't, you know, so I don't waste the food. And that that's, you know, that's in my head how I think I'm being, you know, good yeah. by not being wasteful. But the amount of food that I'm gonna consume compared to what someone who's who's in that type of condition. It like so how yeah. do we how do we apply this? How do we take this from all right, you you you're touching my heart here, but but what does mm-hmm. that look like moving on from yeah. listening yeah. to this? Let, let, let me uh, over the years, I've had that of the families I've worked with. Several of them said to me, "Jay, you work with wealthy families. You know this stuff. How much should we be living on?" And my response is the same every time I hear that. That's a very good question, and it's a very important question, and it's a question that you have got to be able to answer. But you're asking the wrong person. Hmm. You've got to go talk to the owner about it, and whatever the owner tells you is the right amount to burn up of his resources that you manage then I would just strongly recommend that you obey because you will be happy at that level, whatever that is, you know? So it's not, it's, it's not like there's some, you know, well, if you drive, drive a Rolls Royce, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> a Mercedes is okay. That I'm not the lifestyle police. It's not my, you don't work. You're not my servant. It's not my stuff, but I don't think there's too many people that I, that I've ever worked with in my career where they've gone to God and said, God, what kind of a lifestyle do you want us to have? But that's, I think that's the answer to that question is it, it, it's, and it's not going to be the same. If somebody drives around in a Cadillac, I can't look at them and say, oh, I'm shocked that you would spend that kind of money on a Cadillac or a Jaguar. That's not, he may, God may have given somebody permission to drive a Jaguar for some very good reason to advance his kingdom. But I don't know anything about, he doesn't have to answer to me. He doesn't have to explain <laughs> it to me. I'm not, he, he's not my servant. Uh, he, God just has never told me to go out and buy a Jaguar. Yeah. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think it's as individual as it is any other area in life. And that is God with what you've entrusted to me. How much do you want me to burn up on my lifestyle and how much of it do you want me to uh, pass on to the kids? And what do you want me to do with what's uh, w- with the rest of it? And, and that's not, those aren't easy questions to answer, No, but those are the questions that I think we have to answer. If in fact, we're going to be able to optimize the impact that we're going to be able to have in this world for the kingdom, uh, and, and for the Lord. Thank you, Jay. Let me, let me just throw this out to listeners here. That might not be an answer you get in, in, uh, a three minute prayer that leaves about 15 seconds for a quiet time and listening and then moving on. Um, this is a, this is a, the, compared to the gospel, you know, your stewardship somewhat is dwarfed there, but, but it's still a, a very key piece of, of what the Christian life is meant to be. And especially for those in America listening to this, um, it, it's a, it's a calling we have in this affluenza. <laughs> I love that term. Um, it's real. And so I would just, you know, I would strongly encourage you to take time to actually do this, to actually listen to have that prayer, ask God and, and be willing to relinquish whatever he wants you to relinquish, because there's, there's nothing better than being in the center of his will. There's nothing better than, than doing what he asks you to do. So let me, let me, let me give you a prayer that I would, I, I, I challenge all of your people to pray. Okay. This is a very, this is a very scary prayer. And that is Lord take out of my life, 
everything that stands between me and you. Mm. That, that takes some, some courage to have the, to, to pray that. Lord, take away everything that is standing between me and you because you are all I need. You are all I want. And anything that's getting in the way of you and me, our relationship, it, I need to get, it needs to go away. So yeah. just take, take it away. That's where you find out whether your faith is in your provisions or the provider. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you drive that home for each of us and that you give the listeners the courage to pray that prayer. All right. Jay, thank you. Thank Amen. you for this. Um, thank you. It's great to talk with yeah. all of you. Hope yeah. this has been a blessing. Okay. So uh, next week, we are going to dig into uh, with, with Jay on how Christians should be giving. And we're going to uh, unpack more of the tithe and a lot of the misconceptions around that, as well as tithe authorings. And then we're going to get into other pieces beyond that. So um, if, if you're finding value with this, please share it with someone else that, uh, that this may touch their lives as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you again for listening to Wealth Well Done. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And together, we'll continue to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well.